Our text this evening will be taken from the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 13 through 16. That's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savior, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The question I have tonight is how should a Christian behave? In the most simplest terms, I guess you could say we should live a Christ-like life. I've heard this said often from the pulpit, but the best way to uh, catch a counterfeit is to study the real thing. I think there are many, many great examples in the Bible of those who lived a Christ-like life. It is important for us to study God's word and it will help us to see in how we should behave and what it looks like to live a Christ-like life. Another word often people use is the word Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, a, a very good example of this in the Bible is Barnabas. We see this in Acts eleven twenty-six, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And it was in Antioch that believers were first called Christians. You know, I'm thankful that we can be a Christian. We see here that Barnabas and Saul stayed in Antioch for a full year teaching the people. The New Testament speaks a lot about the responsibility of teaching. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 29, I'm not going to read that, but Paul there teaches us that each one of us have a certain role in the body of Christ. And one of the roles that was mentioned there was being a teacher. Part of being a teacher means that the Holy Spirit through us helps us to instruct and communicate the knowledge and, of course, specifically the doctrine of the Bible. We want to be teachers. We want to teach those around us. But to be a good teacher means we must study the Word of God and have an understanding of the Word of God. 
But what do we know about Barnabas? Acts 4, verse 36 and 37. And Joseph, who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In one part, it even says that Barnabas was full of the Holy Ghost. It is very important for us, if we want to behave like a Christian, we must be full of the Holy Ghost. It uses a word there, son of consolation. Probably not a word that we most of us use often. Another word could be he was the son of encouragement. You know, we want to encourage those around us. We want to be uplifting to those around us. We also know that Barnabas was generous because he gave to those who are in need. You know, we don't want to just be generous with our money, but we also want to be generous with our time. He was also a mentor to Paul and Timothy. We know that a, a mentor is a wise and trusted counselor or advisor that helps us to guide in the right direction. You know, I, I, the greatest mentor in the Bible is Jesus. In Matthew 16, 24, it reads, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus' style of mentoring was that he led so that we can follow. We want to follow the lead of Christ. When I was 16 years old, I got a job at Baker Bearing, working in the warehouse. The warehouse manager was Mark Baker. I often said he was a, a mentor to me and taught me how to work or what a good worker would look like. Often at 16, you don't really understand what work looks like. In school, usually a 60% or a 70% or an 80% was good enough. I often strive for that. I didn't strive for perfection. I, I never strived to get 100%. But I learned real quick at, on the job that there was no such thing as doing 80% of the job. He would kindly make me go back and redo it till I did it correctly. I remember having a teacher in high school. We didn't like this teacher. He was super nice, but he would always make us go back and correct our answers till it was a hundred percent. He probably actually prepared us more for the real world than anyone else, but he was a mentor to me. And he helped mentor me to learn and to understand what it was to work. But we also want to be spiritual mentors. We read in Acts 9. Or we don't read, but we, it talks about in Acts 9. Another part of Barnabas. That the believers at that time were afraid of Paul. And they didn't believe that Paul had truly became a believer. At this point, Barnabas vouched for him when everybody else was suspicious 
of him. You know, uh, Christian behavior or Christ-like, at times we may have to take a stand even among our Christian friends. I'm thankful that Barnabas vouched for Paul for him and took that stand, even when how challenged it would have been to take a stand among his friends and his peers. But we read here in this te- earlier in the text, it talks about being the salt of the earth. In the old days, salt was something of highly valued. The Greeks even called salt divine. Salt would have been connected with purity in those days. We read in Matthew chapter 5, it starts out with the Beatitudes. And there in verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It also reads in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For us to be pure, we must confess our sins and we must be saved. And when we confess our sins, it says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we want to be a Christ-like. We first must be saved and we must be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Salt also is a preservative, most common seasoning to be used in the old days to keep things from going bad. Salt also creates thirst. You know, we want our lives to make others thirst for God. We want to live in a way that those around us thirst for more of God. This time of year or these next couple weeks, when I was a kid, my dad would take me bird hunting. And often in the hills, there was many cattle and there was water troughs and salt licks. They always put a water trough right next to the salt licks because the cows or the cattle would lick those salt lick, and in return, they would get thirsty. You know, we want our lives to represent just that. We want our lives that when people are around us, they want to thirst more for more of God. But you know, there's a gr- the greatest quality of salt is it lends flavor to things. We want to lend flavor to things. I was actually thinking this today. There's probably not a single day goes by that I don't eat something with salt. We use salt for everything. Recently, I had mentioned that we had taken a trip to uh, Italy. And one of the things that we did is we took a uh, pasta class or a cooking class there. And, And the gentleman, he taught us how to cook pasta. He said one thing that most people do wrong is they don't put enough salt in the water. And when he started putting salt in that water, it, there, there was literally so much salt in that water, it just kind of had a white scum on top. But you know what? There was plenty of flavor in that water for the pasta to be cooked in. We want to have flavor for in our lives that brings others to Christ. It also mentions here the light of the world. John 9, 5 reads, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We know our church slogan is, or not, I don't know if the word slogan is the correct term to use, but we, we say Jesus, 
the light of the world. We want to be that light. We want to light the world through our life. The Jews spoke of Jerusalem as the light of the Gentiles. But God lit those lights in Jerusalem. But something that we want to realize and understand, we want to make sure that we do not produce our own light. We want to make sure that we are the reflection of Jesus' light. We want to make sure that the radiance that comes from our lives come from the presence of Christ shining through us. We don't want to do this on our own. We don't want to try to create our own light. We want to be the reflection of Jesus through our life. What does it mean to be the light of the world? We know that light is meant to be seen. Christians around or Christians should be visible to those around us. The reflection in the way that we treat others will show that we are a Christian. The way that we maybe would treat one of our co-workers. Maybe another way would be maybe going out to a restaurant and maybe the waiter or the waitress and, and maybe your food didn't come quite how you like it or maybe it took a lot longer than you expected. We want to make sure that we shine our light there and we're patient. Just a few days ago, I was at New Seasons and we, uh, I ordered Diana or Diana ordered herself a bagel and I was waiting for it. And I realized that right away that the guy never toasted the bagel. He just started putting cream cheese on it. And I thought that was kind of strange that Diana didn't order a toasted bagel. And then he realized that he hadn't toasted the bagel. The bad thing is it was the last salted bagel. So he asked me, is this okay or what do you want me to do? I said, well, let me call Diana. And I did. And she said, that's fine. I'll just have a non-toasted bagel. But we want to be patient for pe- patient towards people. We want to show kindness. We are, we want to be different than the world. It would be easy at times to get upset, but we are a representative of Christ and we want our light, lights to shine that way. Another example I, I was thinking of this is maybe when you're driving your car, sometimes we're, we may be running a little bit late and, uh, and maybe you always see the guy on the freeway that, um, that's trying to maybe merge onto another freeway when the traffic's backed up. And what they try to do is they go by all the other cars and try to merge right at the last second. And you know what? I often think that you're probably making somebody very angry in that other car. And I always be careful. I don't want to be provoking other people to anger. We want to make sure as a Christian that we're not taking advantage of people or taking advantage of others. We want to let our light shine throughout the day, at work, at school, at home, wherever we're at in the car, we want to make sure that we let our light shine. We also know that light can guide or to navigate. We had a little boat as a kid, and um, we would go duck hunting over at Sovie's Island. And to get to the spot that we always went to, you had to leave very early. It would still be dark. It was kind of a first come, first serve. And so my dad decided to build headlights for our boat. He took two um, car headlights, put them kind of in a wood frame, mounted them to the front of the boat, put some wires on there, and we hooked them up to a uh, car battery. 
It worked some of the time. Some of the time the dog actually knocked the uh, wires off and the lights would go out. But you know what? Going up that slough in the dark is very dangerous. And with those lights, it helped us to navigate safely where we needed to go. We want our light, our life, to be that light that helps people navigate to Christ. Our light also can be a warning. We want our lives to be a warning that Jesus is coming soon. Our light can be that. We want to live a way in our lives that show that Jesus is coming soon. One thing we need in this world is more people, that light that will help others navigate through the darkness, and that through that they can receive salvation. Our goal is to bring people to Christ through God, and of course through the Holy Spirit leading them, but we want to be that light. One other example here, I think, in being a or good behavior, or being a Christian or Christ-like, is the example of the greatest in the kingdom. We read about this in Mark 9, 33 and 35, and I'm going to read this. And it came, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that he disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves, who should be the greatest? And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and a servant of all. We see here that they arrived in Capernaum or settled in and Jesus asked them, what were you discussing on that road? At this point, Jesus was heading towards the cross and the 12 there were arguing among themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. There is just something heartbreaking about that, that at this point, their biggest concern was who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. But you can tell by their response they knew they were wrong to be arguing about this because they had nothing to say when Jesus asked them the question. I believe they would not have discussed this if they knew Jesus could hear the conversation they were having. When I was a teenager, and this was in the 90s, people would wear a bracelet called WWJD. And that would be, what would Jesus do? And of course, that was to remind them or remind us to act in a way that would demonstrate the love of Jesus through our actions. And every time we interact, if we asked ourselves, would we treat the same, if we would treat that person the same way, if Jesus was personally watching us, our interaction with that person? It made me think about that. There are even some of the the stuff I had asked earlier, if Jesus was literally sitting in your car, would you try to force your by all the other cars? If you were at the restaurant and your food came maybe cold or it didn't come as quick, would you treat that waitress or that waiter the same way? Or maybe in social media, would you post what you post if literally if Jesus was sitting next to you or next to you in front of your computer or on your phone? Or would you send the same email 
if Jesus was literally watching you write that email? Or would you send that text if Jesus literally were watching you send that text? You know, that, that, I think that's a good question that we always have to ask ourselves. If we want to be a Christ-like life, we have to let our light shine everywhere. And we need to be very careful what we say and what we do that hopefully we can bring others to Christ. Jesus also taught them there to, to be first, we must be last. And we must be a servant to everyone around us. You know, I, I've, I've learned that, you know, a lot of things can be fixed if we're just willing to be a servant. We need to learn to have a, a servant's heart. That will fix a lot of our problems if we just humble ourselves and have that humility and to be a servant to others and not want to be first, but willing to be last. Diana, in closing tonight... Diana often will, will say this to me or her boss will actually tell her this. We must love our people and we must have a desire to do good for them. We must love our neighbors. We must love our family. We must love everybody at church. We have to love our people. I still remember during uh, marriage counseling, we had, I think, four sessions there with Brother Daryl. And he asked a question. Or he asked us, how do you define love? And the answer to that was, was to give expecting nothing in return. You know, we want to live a life giving, expecting nothing in return. But that's not easy to do. We read in Luke 6, verse 35 and 36, it says, but love ye your, but love ye your enemies and do good. And lend, hoping for nothing, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto unthankful and to the evil. But, but ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Jesus is telling us we must love our enemies. And he's also telling us here to give in a way that we don't expect anything in return. Often people get upset simply because they're expecting something in return. They'll say, well, I did that for that person and they didn't even acknowledge that I even did it. But we wanna do stuff not expecting gratification down here. We wanna do it because we know our reward is in heaven. We're doing it because we wanna let our light shine as a Christian day by day. It also mentions in there that we have to be merciful. And you know, we want to extend mercy to everyone simply because there are times we also need that mercy. And we know before we were saved, God had mercy upon our soul to save our lives. So tonight, let's um, search our hearts. Let's have a, a closer walk with Christ. May God bless us. The song is 552 and the altars are open.